Hey folks, this is Ian Foster, and this is If and When, a podcast where I talk to other creators about how and why they do their thing. To start, I'm talking to colleagues, friends, and veterans of the arts community at home here in Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada. These are not so much traditional interviews as they're a chat over coffee or something a little stronger. So come sit in and have a listen. Happy Thursday here at If and When. Thanks for coming back and listening to part two of my conversation with Pamela Morgan. If you haven't heard part one, obviously go back and take a listen so you'll be caught up. And otherwise, please subscribe to this podcast. That's one of the top ways you can support it along with rating the podcast where applicable like Apple Podcasts. It helps to get the word out there and also helps it to get into your phone each Thursday without any effort on your behalf. Thanks to those who've been sending little notes of feedback and the episodes they've enjoyed and why. All of this is, as I once described it on my Facebook page, the anti-Twitter to me. Instead of 280 characters, this is a very long conversation and conversations between between people. And that's, that's what I want to hear. I want to get context and, and nuance because I feel like that's missing in general from the the cultural dialogue at the moment. Um, at least, at least a lot of the time, there's obviously lots of great people out there doing stuff, but hopefully this contributes a little towards that in the artistic realm, in my little corner of the world. And hopefully you're liking that and enjoying it. So today, Pamela Morgan, part two, I gave a very long monologue in part one about what it is to be your own advocate as an artist and the challenges there, because Pam just had some really great insight there. We get into some some really cool conversation. I think one of the other big topics that we talk about that I'm really, really interested in in general is the idea of how we perceive the past versus how it really was when it comes to art and its importance. You know, Figgy Duff, I think, is a great example of that. They're a band that is definitely very important now in the history and legacy of Newfoundland music. And I think it's very easy for anyone from my generation or the, or the ones after mine to just sort of look back on that and, and acknowledge that and then move forward without thinking about how weird and windy a road it was to get there. And I'm not going to really say anything more specific about that right now because it's all in there in Pam's words. She's the one who lived it and she talks about all these specific examples of of what that was and the trials and tribulations. But I think there's something to be learned there. I mean, I think back on my own career thus far and let me tell you, anything that anybody knows about me and my music at this point from a sort of a surface, wow, that must have been really cool you did this, or or just that sort of bio stuff of, you know, uh, you've been nominated for this, or you've played this event, or, or whatever. I mean, it's, there's so much more to it. And, and I, you know, I guess we all know this, but do we really know it? Do we really think about it? It's so easy to look at our lives and go, oh my God, this is so complicated. I wish it was more simple, like fill in the blank, that artist that you admire, um, look at what they're doing. And the reality is, is they're definitely going through at least as much of a labyrinth as you are, if not more, to try to be where they are and to do what they're doing. 
I think we're getting this more and more. I see this dialogue about, you know, Facebook and social media in particular, you know, the highlight reel. I think these things are becoming like the terms that everyone says and understands now, the idea that we're putting the best foot forward all the time and that while that's a good thing, it can be damaging as well when we start to compare ourselves to others. But it's it's a conversation that is still really important to have and to think about. I think it just brings us all a little closer, empathy, compassion, you know, imagine imagine just a little bit more of that. And also helpful from even a career perspective, just to know what other bands have been through. That's That's been one of my favorite parts of these conversations is talking to veterans of the scene here and other artists that I admire and just getting to learn exactly what they went through to achieve certain things. It's educational. It can be comforting too, of course, but but I think it just is an insight into what it really takes to do what it is that that we're all doing in one way or another. Anyway, I hope you enjoy part two of my conversation with Pamela Morgan. The supermarket that I go to, I, I have people that I see there all the time, but they have no idea about my former life. Really? Yeah, it's like, it's great because, like, you know, I, I feel like I can be, like, I used to, when I was, um, you know, for want of a better word, famous. And the funny thing is, is that I was really famous, but no one could tell in that one song I did. Like, you know, it was just you were just in the uh, in the media for for just as a public figure. Yeah. But I used to find I used to go away a lot. Um, go to you know I have friends in England or go somewhere they just go just for just to be anonymous for a few weeks just yeah. so that I wouldn't have to but now I can like the, the supermarket I go to uh, I can I, I have relationships with the people who, who work there and they have no idea about my and it's great because I just feel like an, a normal person like I do when I go away you know and that's a big relief it's great right yeah right and you can just be yourself and you know joke around with people and have a bit of fun well there's no stakes no exactly yeah yeah Yeah. that's such an interesting point though and i i think it's always like i've said to people it's it's the world over but maybe it just feels exaggerated to us here because well a there's just your it's where you are but also it's it's newfoundland's the size of it like the idea that you're like people do who i was but they didn't couldn't name one song i mean doesn't that seem insane in general but especially in a town where you're like look there's like 68 of us here how do you not like how do you know me but yet don't know why you know me it's I know. a strange yeah, it's, it's odd yeah you know? it's a celebrity thing you know I know this is a the, like I, I had actually had this happen to me and I know that it's a, a kind of like a, a, a known um, celebrity thing that happens to people but it actually did happen to me someone came up and said didn't you used to be Pamela Morgan <laughs> right yeah <laughs> It, honest to God, did I couldn't believe it. I just and and you know you think about all the things you would say after the fact, but right. you, at the moment you can't kind of like you know uh, no no. Yeah. <laughs> it sends you into an existential crisis on a yeah. Tuesday afternoon. You're like, was I? Did I used to be? Who am I now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this perfect stranger. Last time I looked, I still was. <laughs> is this a stupid comment or a deeply philosophical comment? Which which one is it? You know. Yeah. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you know, on that note, I mean, like, you have you have a heritage page 
right? Like on the internet. There's oh, do like I? a yeah, I mean there's heritage information about who you are. Does that mean I'm a geezer now? I don't know what it means. I was hoping you could tell me. I don't have a heritage page. I'm wondering what it's like. You know? I, I didn't even know I had one. Do you get a pin or something? No. <laughs> they didn't even tell me I had one. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I know I'm in, uh, they, they get they get a hold of me at uh, the who's who in Canada. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> That's interesting. You have a Wikipedia. You have these things about you like there's an identity to you that exists online obviously there's all kinds of print media as well but Mm. the online thing is is always an interesting amalgam for years print obviously propagates to online so it's like at a certain point you have this you know you have this identity there that obviously combines with just the the folkloric daily life identity of who you are and it's like it's you know you you have this this history now, this 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 weight behind you. It's I think it's interesting. Like, how do you? Does any of that mean anything to you at this point, or <coughs> no. is it just something that it feels divorced from you? Yes, yeah, it doesn't have anything to do with me. Right. I I don't. You know, it doesn't make any difference to me. I don't even know about it. I don't go on the internet except if I'm looking for something specific. Right. And I don't look for myself because I know I know where I am. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So I don't really know uh, what's what's out there about me. Right. And, and I don't really care. It's all good stuff. Don't worry. Is it it's... all good? <laughs> Not how I uh, snapped at someone at the supermarket, no. no. No, well, there was that one. <laughs> there was that one Telegram headline, Pamela Morgan snaps at the supermarket. <laughs> they were just looking for clicks, I yeah. think. I don't know. Talk about, let's let's go back a little bit to, to Figgy Duff again. Uh, we we kind of talked about, like, the beginning and, and sort of the end of that band. Tell me about the middle. You toured a bunch with this group. What did that look like in those early and middle years? Oh, uh, it... No one, would, no one would believe it now. I don't think. I don't think anybody quite tours like that. It, it, it was. It was. It, looking back on it, it was very surreal. I mean, there would be six of us in a, in a Chevy van, no seats, no seat belts. Um, just the 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 front two seats. I would sit with my back up against the engine in between the two front seats, and the boys would be on top of the gear, and we'd be and and a lot of times we didn't know where we were going. Mm. Like we like we'd be in a in a town, pulled up at a phone booth, and Noel be phoning ahead, finding out if we can play, you know, at the next town the next night, stuff like that. Right. You know, happened. It it surely did, and and we'd be holed up at like uh, various hotels in the middle of nowhere, just with no money, and you know, it it was just it was brutal for the most part. Sometimes we had a, cu- a couple of like you know decent. Uh, tours that were funded by the Canada Council. We had an occasional management team on for a little while and then it would all fall apart. And Why? Why would it fall apart? The management team. Right. It would just, you know, it just wouldn't work because, you know, like we, we were... They didn't get you? Or? Sh- yeah, yeah. And also, you know, there was a fair bit of um, angst, shall we say, within the band and, you know, stuff like that would happen. And, right. Uh, I, I I should tell you this. This is a funny story. Jeff Butler, who was in the band for some years now, he he lives out in Western Canada somewhere, and, and uh, at one point, <laughs> this wasn't that long ago, probably about within the last ten years, he got a hold of me. He said, "Yeah," he said, um, "Figure it off." He said, "Every time opportunity would come knocking, he said you'd open the door and kick it in the nuts." <laughs> And you know, it was it was kind of mad, but it was kind of true. Right. You know, like 
I mean, we we were, you know, about to be signed by Island Records in the United States. and um, That's a big one. Yeah. It's one of my favorites of, of their rosters, you know. Yeah, so they sent up a couple of guys, you know, to see a show at the Horseshoe, and they, wit- they witnessed a fift- fisticuffs backstage. So we lost, you know, like stuff like that wow. used to happen, right? Wow. It was it was tough, and the boys were, you know, I love Nolan Phil. Don't get me wrong, and I'm not speaking ill of the dead, but, you know, they were scrappers. Sure. And that's how they grew up, and that's how they got along in the world. They were, and it was they, you know, even if there was nothing to fight against, they would still be fighting because that's how they got through the world, and it got us as far as it got us. I mean, like we would figure it never would have happened if if it wasn't for that. You know, like determination and just like you know, um, fighting spirit. But you know, they never knew when. You know, sometimes it, you didn't need to fight. You know, I mean, they never knew when to back off, and that caused us a lot of problems. You know, right. but you know, you have to you have to sort of look at it in the context of the time. You know, there was no management. There was no like you know. There was no industry. There was no infrastructure. There was certainly no MIA. There was no grants. There was no nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, we you just had to like you know, beat against the you know and 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 we were and we were doing a, a genre that didn't exist. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd be in Toronto playing blues bars because that I mean that was the only place where they half understood what we were trying to do. Mm. Um, you know, the, we were too f- f- rocky for the folk clubs. The folk festivals hated us. Mm. Mariposa, you know, my God, you know, because we were long-haired hippies with drums and amps. You know, they didn't want, they didn't want to see that coming across the Toronto Island. Right. You know, stuff like that happened all the time. We were just, you know, it it was it was it was tough. We there was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of hardship. A lot of angst. A lot of you know. A lot of great times too, but you know it was it wasn't an easy road. It was it was really tough, mm. and um, so we were not only you know we were up from Newfoundland in a, in a van with no money, and we we were great. The band was like when it, when the band was at its peak, the band was great, but you know like to fight to try to find a venue that would take us for starters, and um, you know that would um, understand what we were trying to do, like or that would you know that we wouldn't have to fight for was was really difficult. I think it's always such an interesting thing to think about when a band has accrued a long history like Figgy Duff did in terms of activity, 19 years, and then also, you know, a period of history since all of that happened, and to look at, you know, how the band is perceived now versus how it actually was at the time. Mm. You know, I think that Figgy Duff now is going to be that thing that is talked about in that, Newfoundland heritage thing. It's wonderful grand band. It's Figgy Duff. It's these couple of seminal groups that people talk about from that period. And it's all respect and it's nice to get that respect. But from what you're telling me and from what I've heard, in the actual moment of doing it, you know, it was it was difficult and it probably did not feel like you were about to be considered part of the heritage of Newfoundland one day. You know, I kind of always thought we would uh, up until a certain point. And I also, um, you know, on a personal level, believed that old lie that if you uh, don't compromise and if you stick to your guns and if you stay true to your art and stay true to yourself and uh, work really hard, that eventually it'll pay off. Mm. I believed that. 
Do you believe? Do you believe no. that's a lie? I believe that's a lie. Really? That's a total bullshit. Yeah. Mm. Tell me because more about I that. haven't found that to be true. Mm. And uh, I I worked myself. I I'm a really hard worker, and um, I didn't I didn't compromise, um, and I never have. And uh, it it didn't doesn't work. <laughs> mm. Now I'm curious because you said it earlier. Mm. Uh, you said, uh, for instance, the 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 understanding of of figgy def can can depend on your mood. Yeah. Do you feel like do you do you feel like that could depend on your mood? No, because uh, uh because I no because it's my bank account. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> the the my bank account doesn't change with my mood. <laughs> right. No, I guess I asked that. I mean, yeah, mm. fair enough. Uh, fair play. But like. You know, you, you, my understanding of you through both the community and people that I know, as someone not relaying back to you, someone not immediately, I mean, we've shared the stage a couple of times, but we haven't, we're not, you know, connected through like family or a close friend network. But I have a, you know, I have a general, uh, what's the word? Understanding, vibe, whatever about your contributions that are just is wholeheartedly positive contributions. Now you can't eat goodwill, you know. Yeah. You can't uh, pay for your house on goodwill. But I just wonder if uh, you know you talk about that sort of not compromising. I think your reputation, your how people perceive you, is based on you not compromising. That would be my guess. Yeah, probably. Um, mm. You know, but it, it didn't do it me. Didn't financially. Pay didn't off do me any more. favors. No, I right. mean, uh, like when I look at artists who are, you know, maybe they're not, but they're just perceived to be more successful or whatever. Um, but I know that I couldn't possibly do what it took them to do to be successful. Mm -hmm. So it's just, I, you know, I can't, I, I can't do. It. I would rather wait tables mm -hmm. than to uh, compromise my art or my music in any way shape or form mm -hmm. so you know like i i couldn't um change it even if i tried i couldn't mm -hmm. i never could yeah so you know but but that's that's why i don't believe and i would never tell my kid that or my grandchild that it's not true mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. um yeah, that's that's an interesting discussion, and I mean, it. Oh, I think so many things at that moment when you say that. Um, one is about some friends of mine who are in a band that would definitely be considered or perceived as quite successful right now, and every time I've spoken to them for the last, you know, uh, two 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 to three years of continued climb and success, they're like thirty grand on the visa. Yeah. You know? Uh, oh, yeah, I not believe paid that. off. Not able to sleep at night. I believe not, that. You know. Yeah. <laughs> there was a there was a you know those music conferences they have. <laughs> I, I remember one distinctly. I can't remember what year it was, but it was down at the Delta there, and they had like one of those in New, MIA or ECMA, I think it was ECMA. Mm -hmm. It was in Newfoundland that year. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was these conferences and they had these A&R guys coming out and everybody was going around, you know, trying to get signed, trying to get signed. You know, the big thing was trying to get signed. And at that time, I was trying to get unsigned. I was trying to get out of, like, you know, as I told you, I bought back the stuff from um, uh, from the, the record company. Yeah, and I was, yeah. I was, like, trying to negotiate my way through, like, 
getting out of this deal, like you know. And I, I, I think I did. I, I don't know if I did. I can't remember now. But I, I, in my mind, I approached someone and said, "Look, you know, why don't I do a panel on um, maybe, maybe being signed is not the be all and end all of the world. You know, maybe it's like giving up your firstborn. You know, maybe it's not such a great idea." Mm-hmm. And it got shut down. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get to do it. But I, like, I couldn't help but like go around with this getting signed frenzy going, boys. <laughs> it's not all cracked up to be. Right. Know, believe me, right? <laughs> like, I wish there were conversations like this happening with an audience. You know yeah. what I mean? In terms of an actual back and forth or even like a clear point counterpoint. Like, obviously, there's going to be like A&R is going to feel like A&R is a good idea. But it would be great to hear a counterpoint. Although that would probably end in fisticuffs, let's face it. <laughs> not, not that <laughs> yeah, you would throw no. them, but like, it, obviously, it's that, that's the oldest conversation in the music business that we're all negotiating is sort of like the dream versus the reality, right? We used to call him A and H. A and H. Sean Panding was in a few days ago, and he talked about uh, having a conversation with a guy who's still doing it. He says, uh, though he didn't name the name, uh, who came here for I think a drive was was what was getting signed at the time, and he he came by and it was an industry style event, and and he started con- had a conversation with him, and he was like. Listen, I'm just going to tell you right now, I've got like 10 of you guys. Like that was the beginning of the mm. the chat, you know, mm. just just that hard reality of like you're a, you're you're an object. You're you're like a, a can of soup. Yeah. You know, there's like there's 10 cans of soup. They're all chicken noodle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We, the, we used to use the analogy of shoes. The same thing. Yeah. yeah. Can of soup. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I know. Man, I, I'm thinking about so many different things based on a couple of things you said there a minute ago. Like, I, I can't help but come back to the, the fact that you th- you you said it's it's the lie, right, of 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 staying true to yourself. Because at the same time, you just said, like, you'd wait tables rather than compromise your route. So you clearly don't believe, like, it's a lie about staying true to yourself and there being some – there has to be some intrinsic value in doing that. It's just how it plays out. Is that kind of You can you- sleep at night. Right. I mean, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm talking about. Uh, p- I guess I'm talking about uh, financial payoff. Or, mm. I mean, because y- y- yes, I can't. I can sleep at night because of my conscious conscience and my art. But at the same time, sometimes I don't sleep so well when I'm worried about bills. Right. So like you know, there's like that. Um, is that thing? I don't want to be rich, man. I really don't. I if I wouldn't have gotten into this for, for the money, nobody would, right? Yeah. I just want to be able to not have to worry about it and make, you know, enough money to get by. That's all. And, you know, when you can't do that after so many years after having put in that I've done, and maybe it's because I'm stupid in terms of business. I don't know. And I, and I, I shouldn't be talking about it because it's like, you know, it's not a nice thing to talk about. But I don't believe that, you know, staying true to your art is going to pay off. Mm. I would never tell. I, I heard an inf- interview with, um, what's his name? Uh, Kate and McGarrigal's son. Oh, Rufus, Rufus Wainwright. Rufus, yeah. yeah. Whereby, and I, I wanted to kiss him because he was saying, uh, I wouldn't tell my, I wouldn't encourage anybody to get involved in this industry. Mm-hmm. He said, get yourself something else. Get yourself mm-hmm. something and but then of course you know Mary Walsh was quoted as saying uh, if you have something to fall back on you'll inevitably fall back, but you know why would you drive yourself and drive yourself with for you know only to find yourself 
partly destitute. Like, you know, why is is like I don't know if uh, I don't know if if it's worth it. Don't I think it's probably not. I totally get it. I mean, the reason why I'm uh, I'm picking at you at this conversation, obviously, is because I just find it really personally interesting. It speaks to me, and it's uh, it's something that I think about and have talked about a lot recently. A lot of things you just said, such great points. Like, uh, on the one hand, I can sleep at night because I'm not compromising my art, but I also have to pay my bills, so I'm thinking about money. And both of those things. Uh, in different ways, chip away potentially at the art. You know, I remember years ago reading a book. um, It's this like English novel that I did in my English degree and it was called New Grub Street, I think. And uh, and I uh, the theme of it all was stuck to me, which was that like poverty is bad for art. The idea of the um, uh, the the starving artist is a horrible image. I get irritating when people do that old and I'm sure you've had it over the course of your life where people will go like the you know it's a hard life but you're doing what you love I hate that shit yeah. you know it's just brutal you mm-hmm. know because it's the same thing it's like if you're worried about bills like you don't want to sit down and uh, uh, you know work diligently on something that uh, you know uh, I think to be honest maybe to put it a bit more succinctly I think that, that those kind of worries steal the magic yeah. of the thing you're trying to do because we've all had that belief in a song or a production that we're working on and we're like I believe in this I believe it says something but like when you go to the bank and there's a problem exactly. you're like well how much fucking magic is there in this fucking play I'm writing or this song I'm trying exactly. to put together I need to like yeah. pay these bills so I can survive as a human and contribute somehow and yeah. blah 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 you know that's right you know at one point during my career they um, I had at the, at the Newfoundland Labrador Arts Council they had um uh, like uh, I forget what it was called, but it was a sustaining funding for um, uh, for artists. Like um, it was a, I can't remember, but it was for senior artists, I think, and it was it was like a substantial amount of money, more than they gave for project rents, right? Mm. And uh, I remember, <laughs> I I got one of them, and um, I didn't really do anything, and but my final report was brutally honest. I said, I thank you for this money. I didn't really do anything. didn't do what I said I was going to do. But it allowed me to breathe. It allowed me to relax. I got myself back to a point where I was human again. Mm. And I paid some bills. And I was finally able to stop worrying. Mm. And that's and that's what so as a person as as an artist, but more so like you know, uh, but as a person, that's what this did to me, and that's more uh, as important as having. So now I will be able to see my way forward to you know continue to try to do what I've been what I should be doing you know artistically and you know inspirationally, Uh, but I wouldn't be able I wasn't able to do that before because I was so caught up in. How am I going to pay my bills? Yeah. So thank you for this grant, and that's what it did. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Now, was there ever any feedback on that? No. I know. There never is. No. That's the thing no. about final reports. I always make the joke. Do you remember those Indiana Jones? Do you remember Indiana Jones and Raiders of Lost Ark? Did you ever see that movie? The, no. The, at the end of the movie, right, they put the, it's the Ark of the Covenant or whatever, and it's like they, the last scene is like this guy, 
and he's wheeling it into a warehouse and it's in a box and the camera keeps panning out and it's just this giant warehouse of like a million boxes and the whole point is like it just goes away forever yeah. and I've joked to people <laughs> yeah. who've seen it I'm like that's where our final reports go <laughs> absolutely go yeah <laughs> but I mean that's uh you know uh, that's I, I think that's to be commended to do that because there's there's more discussion now. I, I have to say it is more in the public eye the last few years about artists' mental health and the state of what it is to be an artist. Mm. I think that that's a, a great thing. I think it's probably come about based on some of the things I was saying earlier of like now more than ever artists are carrying like the entire burden. Like you're expected to be the entire record label, oh, yeah. every department. Yeah plus the artist, and mm. somehow still create the thing that the entire record label would push out. I know. And and how and what that does to someone's brain, because I think that, like, if you're a booker and you're sending out 100 emails for, you know, your various clients and you're getting, like, 90 rejections back, you're the booker. You're like, yeah, another day at the office, you know. At least 10 of them said yes. You know, but I think as an artist, you're going to process 100 rejections or 90 rejections a lot differently. Exactly. Oh, I know all about that. I, I actually, when we were running the label, I had a pseudonym because I uh, and, and it was it was a terrible thing. I shouldn't have done it. I should have gotten somebody else to do the job. And I but I couldn't because I couldn't afford to pay them. But an, um, a, a festival or a presenter will respond a lot more um, honestly if it's not the artist they have mm -hmm. to talk to. Mm -hmm. So I had a I had a pseudonym and I was you know trying to book these tours under this pseudonym and oh my god I would have to go to bed for a week. I mean because some of the stuff I got back like you know uh, it was just brutal. Yeah. Absolutely horrible. And my, my husband has has uh, tried to convince me. I think he's finally succeeding because now a lot of them are digital. But I, for a long time, and I still have them, a rejection file. And it's like, you know, right. massive. Right. With all these letters of no thank you, thanks but no thanks, and all that kind of stuff. He thinks it's, he thinks it's counterproductive to my mental health to keep this. But uh, and he's probably right. But anyway, it's just, you know, but there's... There's a book of um, uh, something to do with reviews, really rotten reviews or something like that, that was published, uh, rejections that people got for, for things that became later became to be the most amazing things in the world. So, you know, it, it serves as a... Um, as a uh, inspiration to people who are, you know, or a cold comfort to people who are going through it themselves. Because everybody does. Oh, of course. Yeah, and if you know that you're not the only one and that people that you respect also had to put up with that, it makes it a little easier. It's true. Somehow, yeah. I know, it's still a yeah. challenge though, you know. Yeah. Because you always sort of feel like, uh, it, it's like, um, uh, well, we talked about grants, you know, and, and if you're an artist who's gone through the grant cycle, it's like, for those grants that don't offer feedback, because a few of them don't, most do, if you don't get it, like maybe there's three grants awarded in a cycle of something, you know, depending on the, the org. And then it's like, you could have been number four, or you could have been number 26 of 26. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you never know. And it's like that not knowing for an artist, I think, is the thing that eats away, right? Like it's fine, for instance, for have like, Stephen King used to tell that story of like putting his rejection notes on a nail and then they got too many for the nail and so he put them in a drawer and then the drawer overflowed, right? And I'm like, at my most cynical though, I'm like, yeah, but you went on to make it. So like now that's a cute story. Mm. But like that's just a tragedy yeah. for no, the majority of artists that don't write it and don't, they're it's, not able to go and go, yeah, well, that was a funny time where no one realized my genius. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. 
So how do we deal with that on a daily basis? You I don't know. know. I we... guess I will it to my daughter. <laughs> just, <laughs> and just in case, <laughs> just in case I become famous after I'm gone, then you can, right. uh, yeah, you can tell the world about this. <laughs> it's the it, posthumous. Uh... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't live long enough to see it, but um, you know, maybe it's the Moby Dick thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Poor, poor Herman Melville died, um, and he was like, "Why did I write so many chapters about shipping knots? No one cared about this." You know? Yeah, and then. That's no, Moby Dick. Yeah, but then, like you know, that's uh, also a, um, a, a dangerous trap to fall into because there are so many mediocre, like you know, people who probably you know, you know, they wanna they wanna create and, and they should be able to create, but uh, they feel misunderstood and they say, well, you know, I'm not going to be understood until after I die. I know. So I don't want to be one of those. So, you know, it's, I'm alive now. So, you know, if I'm, if people get it, that's great. And if they don't, I can't do anything about it. Yeah. Mm. I've often said, uh, I think that's why, you know, when you're in those situations where you're watching us sort of like, there's an awkwardness mm. and I'm like that, I think that's the core, like the awkwardness. Some people are like, oh, it's just awkward. Cause it's maybe you're, you know, the performance is awkward. I'm like, no, for artists, it's, it's fearing mm. that we're like. Is, is that me? Is that am I tricking myself or like? Yep, you always you always ask yourself that question. Of course, I it's do. Filled yeah. with doubt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, always. Yeah, you know, mm. the best stuff I've ever done or made was because of my doubt. Mm. Right? Can mm. I do this? I don't know. Is this the right <laughs> way to do this? Is this mm. is this nuts? I mean, I made a Christmas record this year with Nancy, and I used to make the joke over the course of making the record. She'd come down and she'd go, "How's it going?" And I said, "I think I just did something that's going to get us kicked out of music." <laughs> It's my joke, right? Because I'd be like, what if I put a weird synth on Good King Wenceslas? Is that going to like piss off someone? And then I'd be like, I don't know. It's funny to be though. So let's do it. Mm. <laughs> but it's doubt. The mm. doubt made me go, oh, should I do this? And then I would go, yeah, why not? Let's try mm. it. Maybe I would rebel against myself or something. And that pushed me artistically. Mm. But it also like makes you get up every day and go, mm. should I be doing this? Well, let's go. You know, is it paralyzing, right? It's a, it's a hard line to walk, I think, mm. you know? Well, I mean, we we experienced that with uh, the, all the people who thought there shouldn't be, uh, you know, electric instruments with traditional music. I mean, that was a huge thing then. Totally. Yeah. I've gone to folk conferences uh, in the last few years where if, if there's drums on your record, that's a discussion. Mm. And it, it just... Uh, I mean, you obviously have this experience, you explicitly said, with Figgy Duff, you know. I guess that uh, community doesn't change. But it's fascinating to me that what would be considered technically one of the most liberal genres in terms of, like, social issues and things, like the idea of mm. folk music, right, would be one of the most musically conservative. <laughs> Isn't that strange? Mm. Well, the thing is, is that um, I, I think that those who would pickle folk music don't really understand it because uh, folk music survived by changing and by, you know, adapting and evolving, you know, that's the way it lives. You can't keep it the same and expect it to survive. Totally. It has to change in order to live. Totally. Talk to me about what makes a good song, Pamela. Oh my goodness. I'm no expert on that for sure. Um, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I only, my best tips of songwriting I think I always came from Ron Ron Hines was, was you know uh, he taught me how to write songs that were not um, 
didn't have the word I. They were other people's stories, not mm -hmm. just stories of your own experience. And that was a great thing. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing he told me is that you got to stop writing everything in E minor. <laughs> so those two tips have, have really helped me <laughs> a lot. Right, right. Yeah. Just true practical tips. Yeah. Just don't write in that key. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, let me see, uh, any more than three chords are showing off? And uh, <laughs> No, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not a good one to ask about that because I'm, you know, I've, I'm not a great songwriter. It's not my forte, but... Um, You're an interpreter, though, and that means that you've thought about songs that way. Yeah. So, so it's, it, in that case, it's a matter of your taste. And I'm curious what, uh, you know, as someone who, who listens to songs to, to take them in and, and, and re-communicate them, what grabs you? Um, story. Uh, I like story. I like poetry. Um, and, uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of melody. Like, you know, I'm, I, I'm not that interested in a lot of contemporary music because it's not melodic enough for my taste. Mm. Um, and, you know, I like to hear something besides baby, baby, baby. I like to hear a story. I like to hear poetry within like internal poetry in the words. Um, and, you know, I can't really, I, I, I this might be surprising, but I hate music. I don't listen to music. I I don't listen to anything. I always I live in silence. Mm. I don't listen to hardly anything. Mm. Every now and again, something will catch my ear, but not very often. Um, I listen to. I I don't listen to. When I'm when I'm by myself at home, I'll listen to some news and things occasionally, but very rarely will I listen to music. Mm. So has that has that changed and evolved over the years? Nope. I, I like I like the sound of what's in my own head, and I like to listen to. Uh, I love bird song, and mm. I, I like outdoor noise, mm. you know, the wind, all that kind of. I know it sounds corny, but that that's what I truly enjoy. Doesn't sound corny at all. Uh, yeah. So I don't listen to a lot, and you know, I I'm perfectly content to be going about my day in total silence. I don't need the radio on or anything like that. And I don't even own a record player. Well, yes, I got a turntable. My husband got a turntable for Christmas. And we've got all these old, sometimes I'll, we'll listen to some of these old vinyl records we've got. Nice. But um, other than that, don't listen to hardly anything. Right. So I don't, I don't, I can't really comment, uh, getting back to your question, about songs. I, you know, every now and again I'll be, uh, inspired to write something about something I care about, uh, but you know it's it's not something that I work at. I don't work at the craft of songwriting, right. and I'm not nearly as as uh, you know proficient as many people I know. Right. Yeah. I uh, it's an impossible question. I mean, that's why I asked it. You know, as mm -hmm. someone who struggles to answer it myself, mm -hmm. I figure I'll I'll make everyone squirm, and within all the answers, maybe the truth will be there. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard. I mean, what what is a song really? You know. You know what I really love and what I'm good at and what I, one of my fortes, and I think this came from listening to so many a cappella songs for so many years. I love writing settings for songs, mm. like for a melody. So if, you know, to, to write the chord structure and make the arrangement, that's what I did with the folk opera. Mm -hmm. I've got about 30 traditional melodies in that, and they're all arranged for piano, like just, you know, various counter melodies and chord structures and things like that. Key changes, you know, like the key changes in the jigs and reels we used to do and figure it off. That was always a really big thing, right? Because mm -hmm. that's what makes a medley work. So 
key changes and key and not only changes but keys themselves like they sound different like you know if you if you have a song that's in the key of b flat for example it will sound way different and then if you play it in a different key you know mm -hmm. like so i love keys and i love um um, making settings for melodies that's my my thing nice yeah that's an interesting that that line you can connect to that band and sort of what you're doing now i'd like to hear a bit more about the the new project which the folk opera yeah yeah well i i that that was the kind of the final straw for me i burned myself out and i got sick i i i you know really pushed hard to try and I had a vision for that. I wanted a like a chamber orchestra with strings, and I wanted like a chorus with. I wrote all these choral parts for it, and that's it's, it's beautiful in my opinion. But I people don't share that opinion because I never got anywhere with it, and you know even the, even the term folk opera people don't get it. You know like the opera people say well, there's no such thing, and then the folk people say well an opera, and it's not a musical because it's all sung. So, you know it's a it's a genre bending thing again. And so, like, you know, it's like, this is no place to I'd like to, to point it. out, since this is recorded, that you kind of rolled your eyes when you said that. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, like, you know, people, I don't know. That's what it is. It's an, it's an opera that's sung of, uh, it's folk songs. Right. You know, so, I don't know. Anyway, I had, I had to stop because I, I, I really burned myself out on that. Mm. So. So where is it right now? It's in my, you know, I got a hard copy tucked away and it's in my computer. Is it going to keep going? Are you on shore? Or where are you with it? No, I, I can't. I can't. I had to move on. I had to move away from it because okay. it uh, it really burned me out. Right. Mm. So where's your head at right now these days? Right now, I actually proposed a, um, I proposed a project. Well, I've got two projects on the go. The first one I proposed to Rising Tide. Um, I wrote a song uh, I think two years ago, about Georgina Sterling, the opera singer from Twillingate. Mm. And um, I got kind of fascinated with her story, I think because it in some ways parallels mine, which is how do you live after you've been famous? <laughs> and uh, she had to do it. She came back to Twillingate. I know her, that story. Her, her career yeah. failed and she had to come back to Twillingate. And I thought I had a lot that I could offer to that story. So I'm writing a play for Rising Tide, a commission, uh, uh, and based on her story mm. so that's kind of fascinating i'm not writing any music for an amusing music from that era like you know the turn like early 1900s and things that she would have sung mm -hmm. um and i'm also using ron's beautiful song that he wrote about her i've heard that song yeah yeah so that's in the play as well so and right now that's what i'm uh, that's my day-to-day -day work and right. i have to have it finished before i go to spain in may right. so and then um uh, also, this is ongoing. Um, in on my last record, I had a, I, I recorded, I wrote a melody for Tom Dow's poem, The Frog Prince. And I don't know if you're familiar with the poem. Yeah, I am. Uh, where the frog, uh, the, the prince turns into a frog, but he, he ends up loving the swamp and doesn't want to be a prince anymore. Right. He wants to live in the swamp. Right. And uh, so I I wrote a musical setting for that and recorded it, and then I had the idea to write a musical about it. And um, I myself and Benny Malone and Ruth Lawrence and Lois Brown we we worked a lot on the proposal and tried to get money from the Canada Council one fifty for a three ring circus based on the Frog Prince. Cool. And it was a great idea, and we tossed around lots of stuff. Anyway, we didn't get any funding. Uh, but I got money from the Arts Council to uh, start writing it, so I'm 
I'm back to that now, and well, I want to finish it and, and uh, write it. Right. So there's two plays, basically, I'm working on now. Right, mm. right. Well, I mean, everything you're telling me uh, kind of goes in that theme that I've that I feel personally and, and many of the people that, that I've spoken to so far feel, you know, that just that, you know, there's, there's just so many outlets, you know, like Figgy Duff was on outlet for you. I'm sure mm. your solo career is on outlet for you, but it mm. sounds like these things are just as much of an outlet, would you say for you in terms of like staging theater productions or, you know, they are, you know, and uh, what I'm discovering, I, I've always been a good writer and, you know, and well, cursive as well. But like, um, I always enjoyed writing. I love like we were asking me about songwriting, like or, or like the songs that I sing. The thing about folk songs is that some of those old ballads, I mean, that the the lyrics in those are polished and perfected throughout so many years that they, they become, you know, just perfect like the turns of phrases and things like that and that's one of the things that I find fascinating is the language and that's what I used in the folk up I tried to because I had to read you know write some things to go in and I find myself I really love to write uh lyrics and um you know like the the rhymes and things that have to go in these plays the dialogue for the Georgina play has come along like it's just smooth as silk I don't struggle with it at all it's just coming it's just you know and um I, I really enjoy writing um, dialogue and, you know, poetry and lyrics and things like that as well. So yeah. so that's, a, that's you know, something relatively new, really, because right. I haven't been doing a lot of that, but I'm enjoying it. Right. Yeah. That's one of the silver linings, isn't it? I mean, you know when those moments are happening and that, and that you know, when you're in the midst of writing that dialogue, it feels that way. Those are the moments you're like... Yeah. Oh my God, there is a God and there is magic <laughs> and I'm supposed to be doing this clearly because why yeah. else would it be going this well? I have, exactly. I have a long history of it not going well to prove that this is good. <laughs> yeah. 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 So tell me of, uh, tell me, uh, kind of close it, cluing up here, uh, sort of the, um, the, I guess the underlying thing here of why, why you've done this and continued to do it. You know, is there, is there something... You know, through through all of this kind of stuff, what what has kept the fire alive? Well, it's, it's getting back to the Mary Walsh quote. It's like you know, if 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 you have something to fall back on, you'll fall back. I had nothing to fall back on. Mm. I mean, I left high school to go on the road with. Uh, I never went to university. I have no degrees. Mm. I've got an honorary degree from Mon, and that's not worth the papers printed on. And uh, like I. I just, like, you know, I have no choice. I did try, I, like, I tried with the graphic design, but, I mean, I can't compete with a 20-year-old on a computer. Mm. You know, I mean, I have lots of great ideas, but I, at my age, I should be at the management level with ideas, but you can't sort of start at the management level, you know what I mean? Right, so right. it was, it, that didn't work. Mm. And I couldn't get my head around the web angle of it, so I could do, I mean, I've, I've done lots of, you know, invitations and posters and flyers and different, you know, little things for my friends and things. But, and then uh, the idea of starting up another business after having run Amber Music for all those years, I just, it was, you know, I couldn't, I just didn't have the energy to start up, a, like to start up a graphic design business. And I don't really think my heart was there. I think it always was still in music. So, you know, I went through a lot of years of, you know, wondering what the hell I was going to do and who I was and what my identity was. And then I spent about six or seven years at the folk opera, like really worked hard on that and mm. tried to get somewhere with it and got nowhere. Mm. 
and then I had to take a couple of years off because I was sick, mm. and now I'm back at work again. So, I mean, there's definitely a poetry to the arc of your journey from what we're hearing, right? Mm. Because it, you're still doing the same thing in a way mm. that Figgy Duff was doing, right? Mm. You're taking stories and heritage, and mm. you're you're creating a yes a new framework. That's right. Yeah. For that, yeah. You know? I mean, that's that's that in itself. I find those threads are always. I mean, I think they're imbued with meaning, right? Mm. Like there's something there's something there about purpose, I think. Yeah. How do you feel about purpose? Um, well, I, I, I'm really glad I have it. Because <laughs> I don't know, things would be pretty boring otherwise. Do you like my deeply specific questions? You know, Pam, just tell me about purpose, you know. It's, <laughs> it, this should be easy. Sum it up for me. Yeah, I, I, I think that anybody who has a pur- purpose is lucky. Mm. You know, it's a very fortunate thing to have. I know people who don't have one, mm. and uh, it's it's sad. I I think. I mean, you know, I I, I think that it makes it makes life a lot more meaningful when you have a purpose. Mm. Well, yeah. I kind of identified a version of, you know, an exterior version of me summing up some sort of purpose. What do you think about your purpose? I've never really thought about it. To tell you the truth. Mm. Um, I, I, the one of them is what I just said is that like you know I feel the responsibility to the people that I learn the music from. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a you know a sense of purpose. And plus, I think to uh, you know which was the main thrust behind the folk opera was that you know just to let people know about because about these melodies because as I mentioned earlier people don't have the listening power for the 15 verse uh, you know ballads anymore so you get like a couple of verses of this beautiful melody then it morphs into a different melody mm. so you know it's too I think that that's probably one of my strongest senses of purpose because it encompasses so much of what I did in my younger years and what I learned and what I feel very privileged to have learned in my, you know, learning from people, uh, you know, in the oral tradition. So Mm. that's my, you know, my main wish is to have that to live on and have a good life and that people will, you know, get to hear it and, and experience it. That's mm. probably one of my main purposes. Yeah. Yeah. It's something not many are doing, you know, mm. like no. in our community. So I don't think so. No. Thanks a lot, Pam. You're welcome. I hope this was okay. Was <laughs> yes, this okay? Fine. fine. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Good. I don't good. often do it, but uh, yeah, that's great. And that's it. Wasn't she great to listen to? Pamela Morgan, such a a real and honest person about what she's been through as an artist. Uh, It's it's refreshing. Um, I hope you'll tune in again next week when my guest will be Kayla Mahoney. See you then.